The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio, and we're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellinch, and today we'll discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we will respond to a listener question or comment, so please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled, You Gotta Know When to Hold Them. And as the old song tells us, sometimes we need to hold on to things and sometimes we need to let go. Fortunately for us in addiction recovery, we make a spiritual practice of taking personal inventory as a way of life. If we find we're wrong, we promptly admit it. If we persevere in this practice, we find true freedom. Today, we want to share when to hold them and when to fold them on the path to clean living. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of that recklessness that we had in active addiction and possibly in early recovery as well. Then we'll move into the solution of the power of understanding. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the power of understanding helped us to move from that recklessness to clarity of purpose. So Dan, what what is your what was your experience of recklessness on your recovery path? I like that you used the past tense. Yeah, I caught myself there. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment somehow or other. <laughs> well, and it, and it's true that um, recklessness in my life in general is largely in the past. I mean, I can't say that I never do anything now that might be considered reckless. But compared to how I was, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm. It's night and day. And when I think about what recklessness looks like, so recklessness being sort of, you know, lack of understanding, lack of clarity, if you will, is just the broad fact that my brain was not working that well, you know, during my active addiction and certainly not for a while on the recovery path. Now, I didn't know that. Right. How can we know? Uh, Once again, it's like the fish trying to describe water. It just is what it is. But looking back on it, I can clearly now see 
I can see clearly now. What was that uh, famous song? <laughs> I can see clearly now that the rain is gone. I can see clearly that my brain was not functioning that well um, when I was uh, actively uh, addicted to alcohol. And when I got into recovery, I remember people saying, I remember people saying a lot of things, but one of the things that I heard often was that it takes time for us to get our mind back. And I'm not sure quite what I made of it because I, at no time did I feel like I, my mind wasn't back. It's only in hindsight that I thought, oh, you know, man, this is, I'm doing so much better now. Only, only now can I see how in the past my mind was still kind of fogged. And people had said things like, you know, it takes five years to really fully get your mind back. And uh, honestly, I found that to be true. I really have. So recklessness looked like just, you know, I guess I could say it was all born out of uh, thinking that was just not very sound, you know, not very clear. Yes. Well, I have quite a few consecutive 24 hours of sobriety and sometimes my brain still doesn't work very well so what's my excuse <laughs> but I, I understand I relate to that and you know I was thinking that there's a couple of things that I think cause that kind of brain not working very well and part of it is obviously just the the toxicity that's still in our systems at that point I remember hearing an old timer say you know the first year just you're just detoxing, like just sit down and be quiet. <laughs> you're not even thinking clearly. So there is that literally getting the substance out of our system. But I also think that it's um, what you sort of um, touched on is that we don't have a very organized thought process. We're just kind of all over the place. You know, I, um, I remember that, you know, it's, it's partly uh, not, not being able to take that pause and think something through clearly before doing it, that impulsiveness, it was like, I just do it. I just do it. I just do the next thing. I just go and do it. I don't, there's, there was no, for me, um, no taking time to think things through and act in a mindful way. It was all very impulsive. And that, that was part of the excitement of active addiction was, I mean, I didn't want to think things through. I didn't want to think about things really that much at all. I wanted to do things. I wanted to just get out there and be impulsive. That's what that recklessness was like for me. Yeah, as you spoke, it reminds me, you know, we have that saying, um, do the next right thing. We, I was good at doing the next thing. I just had to <laughs> add the right part. And that took a lot of uh, sobriety and a lot of work. You know, one thing that I learned along the way, and I was even aware of this while I was still drinking, is that that um, drugs in general, substances, but alcohol in particular acts as kind of like an insulator, right? That it, it, it sort of surrounds you. It surrounded me and my group of friends with some sort of warm, invisible force. And the problem with that is that, um, you know, I'd be very unaware of how we were impacting those around us. I mean, right. I have a lot of embarrassing memories about being in a place, you know, like a jazz club well, a group of us go in there and we order drinks and we're sitting there talking and nobody realizes you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to sit quietly and listen to the music. And here we are like a bull in a china shop, a bull that's had a few too many, you know, in a china shop. And it's just that mortifying feeling like, oh, my God, I just made a fool out of myself. I feel like such a 
such an idiot. You know, I better have another drink to combat that sense of foolishness. But, you know, recklessness born directly out of the fact that uh, alcohol is an insulator. It's both one of the reasons why we use it and why I know why I did. Um, but certainly it's, it's one of the big downsides as well. Just, you know, being a loud, you know what, uh, inappropriately because yeah. it is acting as an insulator. So yeah, that's one way. I mean, that's one kind of reckless, if you'd call it reckless behavior that showed up. Yeah. I really get that when you said it's an insulator. I mean, and I believe that I used alcohol in that way. It's like sort of putting this warm, fluffy blanket between you and reality, you know, and I'm sure that that's why I used it. Um, So it insulated me from having that awareness of myself, of other folks, of what was happening because I didn't want to have that awareness So that was another aspect of that recklessness for me was just that incredible self-centeredness and self-selfishness, self-centeredness, self-obsession that was the hallmark of my drinking. And frankly, you know, didn't necessarily go away with alcohol. It's something I've had to work very diligently on to develop that awareness that I'm not the only person here and the world isn't revolving around me. So... I totally get that of just, you know, just being sort of out to lunch that there were other folks out there that also had needs and that my, um, you know, my getting what I wanted at any particular moment might not have been, you know, the best thing for those around me. And it was really an awareness that I had to really take time to develop. I still have to be very mindful about that. I can still be very self-centered and just kind of forgetting that anybody else even exists. So that definitely caused reckless behavior. Yeah, I found, uh, I'm glad you said that because I've also found that in general, this whole recovery journey uh, is very much that it's a journey. You know, it's not it's not that I was self-centered before and I'm not now. It's that I was a lot more self-centered before and I'm a lot less now. But it doesn't mean that I'm not at all now. You know, it continues to um, improve over time, I think. And that's part of what we do, you know, when we purposefully walk uh, a recovery path. And as we say, we practice these principles in all our affairs. So everywhere that I go, I try to be mindful of um, how what I'm doing or saying or not doing or not saying yeah. is impacting those around me. Yeah. You know, I have um, I have cousins that grew up in Virginia, and uh, they like to joke about uh, the guys from Virginia, like them. And uh, years and years ago, one cousin uh, asked me what what's the what did he say? Uh, Redneck's last words, and I said what? He said, "Hold my beer." You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey y'all. Hey, y'all, watch this. Hold my beer. Yeah. uh, Someone's famous last words because they're about to do something very reckless (laughs) and die. And so um, what recklessness looks like is, you know, what you do after you tell your buddies, hold my beer. You know, it's like, I don't know if that's a good idea. No, maybe you don't want to stand up in the back of a moving truck or maybe you don't uh, need to have one or two or three extra drinks, or maybe no, it's not a good idea to go to the bar when you can, I mean, to go to a restaurant, like go to Denny's when you can hardly stand up or whatever, you know, it all, all kinds of 
really stupid actions that one would never do if you if you weren't intoxicated. Right. Um, I mean, then that, that's almost like the easy, that's the low-hanging fruit. You talk about recklessness. It's right. literally doing stupid things yeah. because I've been drinking. Yeah. So, you know, another aspect of the recklessness that I really wanted to touch on that is, you know, I talked about not being aware of others, but a really important piece of it was just not being, um, not being mindful or careful or loving or compassionate with myself, just being very reckless with myself, not looking out for myself, not um, taking my own best interests at heart, you know, just doing things that were very self-destructive, um, very dangerous to myself, putting myself in dangerous situations, uh, you know, just kind of being out to lunch in terms of just not even being checked in with myself at all. In fact, that's probably a huge reason why I drank was I did not want to be checked in with myself. Um, and so that created a lot of really reckless behavior because I did things that were just, you know, not good for me and were dangerous for me. Um, it's St. Patrick's Day, so I just have to quickly share that, you know, one time I remember I was very sick on St. Patrick's Day, which is a real bummer when you're a practicing alcoholic, because that's like our, that's our holiday, you know, and was not going to drink that day because of my sickness and said, I'll just stop by the bar and say hi to my friends. Well, you can pretty much guess how that went. And about 25, you know, green Guinnesses later, um, things were not looking very good for me. And so that was kind of, you know, that was very typical of my recklessness. I needed to go home and care for myself that night and get better. And I ended up drinking green beer until two, two in the morning. So <laughs> it was not, not very kind to myself or careful with myself. Was That's because going home is boring. We all know that. How boring. Now stay, have just one, what have just beer? one. Oh. Famous last words. All righty. So now that we know about this challenge of recklessness that I'm pretty sure every listener can identify with, we've, uh, we've gone ahead and embarrassed ourselves. So <laughs> we'll do it for you. But in unity, we affirm as always that all of life is governed by spiritual principle. Yeah, in fact, our Unity co-founder, Charles Fillmore, described 12 spiritual powers that he called the 12 powers, and that we all have, and we can learn to develop and use more effectively to create the kind of life that we want for ourselves. And one of these powers is the power of understanding, which is defined as the ability to know, perceive, and comprehend. And that's what we want to focus on today. But we may ask, what do you mean? When you say understanding, what does it mean to have spiritual understanding of something? So, Michelle, when you think about that, uh, the 12 powers, specifically about the power of understanding, what comes to mind for you? Okay, so the first thing that comes to my mind is self-awareness and self-knowledge. Um, I believe that the 12 steps are a very, uh, well, I don't want to say a selfish process because that sounds you know, that kind of sounds negative, but for me at least, and I think it's inherent in the program of the 12 steps is, is really being willing to delve in deep and get to know yourself. 
know what your issues are, know what makes you tick, know why you drank, know what triggers you, you know, delving into um, the past and finding out what, who is this person, Michelle, and what makes her tick and what, um, what is driving her. And so that understanding is really about understanding myself. I can't get out of that bondage of self and start to become more mindful and aware of others until I've sort of taken care of what's happening internally. And so that, and that is a lifelong process. It may be more intense at the beginning of early recovery, especially when we're doing our 12 step work and such. But for me, it's really been an ongoing process of just peeling away those layers and layers and learning to really understand myself. Yeah, really, in a sense, uh, I get uh, one meaning I get out of it is this ability that we can develop to see beyond appearances to what we might call reality. And one way that that manifests, I think, uh, is exactly what you're saying, that I can um, work on, you know, undertake a better understanding of myself, my inner processes, you know, whatever my habits of mind are, so that I can begin to um, better see what's actually going on and maybe then have a chance to be more skillful in the right. ways that I use my mind, rather than just sort of um, having it uh, going on its merry way and me sort of, uh, you know, seemingly that's all I know. I have no perspective on it. This is just the way I am. This is just the way the world is. Right. That kind of looking at it instead of uh, stepping back and looking beyond the superficial or the or the habit, you know, sometimes I I recognize, well, I used to be a lot more of some way than I am now. And I could say, well, historically, you know, I'd always responded like this to that given situation or whatever. But to see beyond those old ways of being and to see beyond the superficial to what's really going on underneath it. Because yes. as we know, um, if I want to transform my life, the very first step is always awareness, right? Yes. Awareness of what's going on. That's one way that I find uh, a spiritual path very helpful and prayer and meditation very helpful because it uh, assists me in becoming more aware of what's going on because nothing's going to change until yeah. my awareness does. Not that it's done. I mean, just because I'm aware of it doesn't mean it's a done deal, but I do know the opposite is true. If I'm not aware of it, then nothing's going to happen. And yeah. so one way that understanding, or one thing that understanding means to me is the ability to see beyond the surface, to see beyond appearances, both yes. in myself, both in you know the world, that, that applies in, on many levels. Right. Yeah. In fact, as you were speaking, I was thinking that awareness is really like the opposite of active addiction. I mean, I believe that I drank largely to keep that awareness at bay. I didn't want to be aware. I didn't want to be aware of myself. I didn't want to be aware of others. I didn't want to be in touch with myself. I wanted that fuzzy blanket separating me from everything. And so, uh, Getting sober was about, you know, having the courage to step into that awareness and start to see things for what they are. And like I said, that, you know, a huge part of that was knowing myself, learning to know myself. 
as I learned to know myself, I could then begin to start realizing that there are other human beings out there um, and then start to learn about them. You know, what makes them tick? Why do they do the things they do? Because as long as I was out of touch with myself and unaware, I thought that everything was about me. I thought that everyone did everything because it somehow had to do with me. So one of the huge leaps in awareness for me in early sobriety, well, and it's a continuing ongoing awareness, is that everybody else is not thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves and they're doing their own thing for their own reasons. And I don't know, 90% of the time, maybe 99% of the time, it has nothing to do with me. And that was a huge freedom and a huge uh, leap in understanding for me to start to realize that everyone is out there doing their thing, doing the best they can. And most of the time it has nothing to do with me. It was a very important thing for me to begin to figure out. Yes. One thing that comes to mind when I consider understanding is, is that I know it helps me to balance my life. And, and balance is a topic that comes up often in spiritual growth. In fact, yeah. I think one way I could describe, um, you know, the lack of spiritual spirituality or a spiritual way of living is, is to be out of balance, mm -hmm. you know, out of balance between uh, my thinking self, my feeling self and my sort of action or my body self. And, and those three centers I've heard described as the very core of uh, what we might call a wisdom tradition, right? So if I want to uh, walk this path, if you will, of spiritual growth, I want to increase in wisdom. The way that I do that is to better balance my yeah. thinking faculty with my feeling and emotion faculty with my body and my doing faculty. And that, mm -hmm. that right there is a, a working definition of wisdom and a primary goal of anything we might call spiritual growth. And so understanding can help me sort of to wrap my head around that, to get that, say, okay, I, I, I get the concept of balance. I can, I get how I'm, I'm not in balance. Maybe, uh, you know, for me, I'm much more thinking oriented naturally than, you know, either um, emotion or heart centered or action oriented. Thinking for me is, is very, um, it's just core to who I am. I've got right. that part down. I don't need to work on that, right? That, that's <laughs> that's my natural ability is in the realm of I, the idea, you know, in the realm right. of mind. I'm very comfortable there. So what I need to do in order to balance is to be looking at, well, what's going on with my emotional life, my emotional perception, you know, my compassion and abilities? What's going on in my body, you know, which I'm gladly in the past would have ignored to be perfectly happy in the realm of thought. You know, I could yes. live my entire life, I, I believed, in the realm of, of the mind. And now, I fortunately, I know better. You know, I kind of got, got kicked out of that um, when, um, when my drinking license got revoked, you know, and uh, <laughs> I was effectively told by the universe that you're done. You've, you've had a lifetime of alcohol, maybe two lifetimes of alcohol in, in the first part of, of yours. But, you know, that kind of getting kicked out of that warm, fuzzy blanket, as you so yeah. well describe it, um, you know, helped me to see that, 
gosh, I, I really am out of balance. And so anyway, the power of understanding for me personally helps me see this concept of balance and it helps me to really get the ways that I'm out of balance. So then, of course, I can begin to um, be get more in balance. Yeah, I, I love that idea of balance. And I think I'm definitely towards the thinking side as well. I think that's why you and I understand each other so well. We both sort of have that overactive, uh, you know, brain thing. And so bringing that into balance with um, the feeling nature as well. You know, that made me think of that a big part of spiritual understanding when we talk about that, that spiritual power of understanding um, is inner knowing as well. And when I was drinking, you know, it wasn't just about the drinking. It was about being so out of touch with myself. How could I access intuition? I didn't even know what that felt like. I remember in early sobriety when, you know, I was trying to learn to make decisions from an intuitive place. I wasn't sure what the intuition was when I would try to think about a decision I needed to make. I would get this panicky feeling inside and and I would, you know, kind of like that, you know, clenching up of the solar plexus. And I thought, oh, is that my intuition telling me this is a bad decision? And I learned that, no, that was just plain fear. <laughs> that wasn't my intuition. That was just fear because fear was the default setting for me at that point. Um, you know, that's what I went to was fear, fear that it's not going to work out the right way, fear that I'm going to make the wrong decision, fear that something horrible is going to happen to me. So it took me a lot of time to begin to peel that away and start to get at what intuition is. And I believe that intuition is a really important part of spiritual understanding. So now I know it's not my solar plexus reacting. Um, in fact, it's not even anything that tangible and we talk a lot about this in unity the inner knowing and so you know we talk about having divinity within that part of us that is our christ nature that is the spiritual divinity that is the core of each and every one of us and so spiritual understanding is learning how to access that place and how to live more and more of our lives from that place um, and there, you know, everyone has to sort out for themselves what the best way is to learn to access that. Uh, for me, a mindfulness practice has been especially important and lots of prayer and meditation and um, time spent in nature and sort of a lot of peeling away of what isn't that so that I can get to what is that. It's not so much um, of finding that or of creating that as getting rid of all the stuff on top of it that has been covering it up. So all the mind chatter and the fear and the reactiveness. And as I start to peel more and more layers of that stuff away, then I begin to find that there is an inner knowing that I believe is that part of me that is connected with what we call in unity divine mind. And that I can use that to access that higher understanding. And when I make choices and live from that place, things go quite a bit better for me. Yeah, it's that what I'm hearing is that you've developed your sense of perception, really, to be able to discern between, like you said, that sort of clenched feeling of, no, that's just regular old fear from what might be underneath that. But let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break and when we come back we'll continue the conversation so please stay with us
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back, and we're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett. I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelich. And we'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we will respond during the show to a listener question or comment, so please let us know what's on your mind. Okay, so prior to the break, we were discussing... um, that recklessness that characterized our uh, using time and maybe early recovery. And then we talked about the power of spiritual understanding and that ability to discern and make decisions from, um, from that place of spiritual discernment. So Dan, now that we know that that challenge that we had was that recklessness and the solution is the power of understanding, How exactly does the power of understanding lead us to clarity of purpose? Well, for me, what comes to mind first is that it seems like anything that I might call clarity of purpose comes from a couple different sources, or maybe a better way to put it would be that it it, it feels a couple different ways. I mean, I, I, I believe that God, as I understand God, is the source of all of what I might call clarity, but it comes from either a a sense of calmness or um, a sense of clarity. And that's very different than the recklessness that we were talking about before, which was really a very mindless way of living. And what I found, uh, you know, after some time on a recovery path and, and really being intentional with my spiritual path as part of it is that um, my life, the kind of improvements moving away from my reckless behavior uh, show up with a kind of calmness and or clarity. I mean, I can be calm, but not clear. You know, I could just sort of be fuzzily calm and that's a much better place for me to come from and feels much better than the sort of ill-advised behavior, which is one way I think of recklessness. And I can be clear on something and not calm. It's best when I'm, when I'm coming from a place of calmness and I have some uh, kind of clarity. But anyway, when, when I think about how does understanding help me move out of that recklessness to a strong sense of purpose, it, it seems to show up in two different ways, you know, one and or the other combined. Yeah, I, I like that, um, you know, from moving from that recklessness and that impulsiveness of, you know, you talked about just doing the next thing rather than doing the next right thing, just doing, 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 and, and having that sort of impulsive behavior. Um, part of part of where I've been able to get to through this power of understanding is uh, what some people like to talk call the pause. You know, where there's you take a pause. I mean, for this crazy girl here, you know, taking a pause is like what? I like to just charge forward with things, and so that's something that I had to really learn um, to take that pause. Most things do not require my immediate response. 
the world will go on turning if Michelle doesn't chime in immediately, you know? Um, and so just, you know, being able to react from a more thoughtful place rather than impulsively. And then actually I've heard people describe it as learning to respond rather than react. Reacting is that immediate, that gut, you know, reaction, which normally is based on something that's getting triggered in me. And it's not going to be a very good place that I'm coming from when I'm reacting. Responding is what I'm able to do when I take that pause and I'm able to spend some time in quiet, in contemplation, or even just taking a few breaths before I just go charging forward into the next thing, you know, <laughs> taking that pause and being able to respond mindfully to something rather than just reacting impulsively. You know, I've heard people uh, talk about a kind of mantra that helped them, especially in early recovery. And it went like this, first thought, bad. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, and it's exactly what you're saying. Like, don't, you know, just take a breath, you know, d d recognize the first thing that comes to mind, but don't immediately take action on it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's so silly and we can laugh about it. And I think that's one way it's helpful. I mean, it may not always be true that the first thing that occurs to me is bad, but what is always true is it's a good idea to take a breath and assess a little bit before barreling forward, you know, most, if not almost all the time. Sometimes we're in situations that call for immediate action, but usually not. That's not the norm is, is that, you know, I better, I better act right now or I'm literally physically in danger is, is not the norm for us. But rather that idea of uh, that silly way of saying, you know, first thought bad just means take a breath, you know, allow, allow for the possibility for calmness to come into play yes, and recognize that a calm sense is possible uh, even when approaching a, a fairly challenging situation. And, you know, we got a lot going on in the world right now with this um, unfolding pandemic, and that's not an exaggeration to use that right. term. Right. And then, of course, everything that might be implied from that. You know, I have a small business. Is is my um, is my economic security feel threatened because of what's going on? And uh, you know, and just lots of other life things that are happening. But I've found that even um, though I can get genuinely uh, worked up or afraid about something. Um, if I allow for it, I can allow a kind of calmness to enter into the situation as well. And so I know that it's always possible for me to approach any challenge with a calm sense, but it doesn't mean I can achieve it, it, it but it, it can be done. Whether I can do it in that particular moment or not, that's a different thing. But just by recognizing that... Um, Calmness is always a place that I can come from. That's one way, you know, understanding that is one thing that's helped me move from, um, you know, a life with much more recklessness to one that uh, I would describe as having a much greater sense of clarity of purpose. 
Yeah, so I wanted to just mention that these are learned behaviors. These are behaviors that we can acquire with time. Um, it, you know, it typically is not our uh, nature to respond in this way, and we have to relearn our behavior. You know, I, I truly believe that a lot of addicts um, have, have sort of, you know, a lot of trauma background, probably a touch of either a touch of or a lot of PTSD and have operated a lot of our lives in that fight or flight state. And that's typically how we react to things is fight or flight. You know, it's, it's, I'm in imminent danger, but we can learn to override that and it takes time. And this is an ongoing process, but that, that taking that pause, taking that breath, um, learning to, you know, just take some time to respond thoughtfully and mindfully to something rather than just reacting. And we can, you know, we don't, we can, we can learn a lot of different skills. There's a lot of ways we can learn to do that. You know, again, I always say meditation and mindfulness practice has been so essential to me. And that really doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can be as simple as just stopping and taking three slow, deep breaths before responding. You know, I've seen this thing that's been going around recently on social media about, um, it's like a meme that says, growth is deleting the paragraph and responding with, okay, right? So when you get that, you know, you get that email or that message or whatever, and you, nah, you quick, you know, crank out this angry response and rather than hitting send, <laughs> You know, just don't hit send and you'll be good. You can write the angry response, just don't hit send. And then taking that time to go, is this really how I want to respond? And often going back and just deleting the whole thing and responding with, okay, or, you know, whatever it is. But you got to have that pause before hitting send and that time to, you know, sort of check your own reaction to things. I mentioned uh, a minute ago about how understanding seems to show up with a sense of calmness or a sense of clarity. And I, I love your example. And I had seen that as well as, uh, you know, spiritual growth means <laughs> deleting, deleting that whole paragraph and saying, I think that'll work, you know, or thank you, let's do yeah. that or, you know, something other than some kind of reactive. And, and that's the key word reactive. Um, uh, response or tirade, but clarity, just simple clarity. That, that's one way that understanding helps me move out of recklessness and into a strong sense of purpose. It's, it's easier to understand or to see rather, that's a better word to see what the right thing to do is. And sometimes the way that that shows up is that I just helps me see what's not the right thing to do. Because if I can start crossing off the, no, that would not be a good way to go forward, and that would not be good, and that would not be good, that can help me get to, well, what would be a good way to respond, even if I don't feel like I know. Um, you know, a situation could arise, and I think, you know, gosh, I don't know what to do. Well, what do I, should I not do? You know, maybe <laughs> brainstorm a list of possible responses and cross off the ones that pretty clearly I, I, I know are not the right thing to do, that can help me over time. And in a sense, I mean, what I'm doing is what you just said. I'm taking some time. I can take, I can literally take a few quiet moments and take a few deep breaths and 
in addition to that, I can say, well, you know, I probably don't want to do A, B seems like a bad idea, that, and that will help me. So between that uh, taking a breath, stepping back, um, allowing some clarity to show up can help me know what is the right way to move forward. And, and again, you know, this is all about moving out of that reckless way of being and, and into a stronger sense of purpose or clarity of purpose. Uh, just allow the time for that clarity to uh, appear and expand. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, seeking divine guidance, uh, spending time in prayer, asking for guidance, you know, appealing to uh, my higher self to be more in charge. Um, this was a revelation to me in early sobriety because you know, it was the Michelle show all the time and there was no seeking of any kind of higher guidance. And so when I, you know, got sober and was working with a sponsor and I would call her up with whatever my current crisis was. And the first thing she would say is, honey, did you pray yet? And I'd say, well, no. And she'd say, well, hang up and go pray. And then you call me back. And so that really taught me that the first thing I need to do is go to guidance. The first thing I need to do is get quiet and seek divine mind, seek God's presence, seek God's guidance. Um, that was huge and it continues to be huge, but we get to the point or I've gotten to the point where it's my default. You know, I typically don't go charging into things without at least checking in, even briefly, with God, with divine mind, with my higher self. And I'm just using those different terms because I know it's different for everyone. And um, we all have a different way that we describe, you know, what in unity we call that one power and one presence. But it's just getting out of the human mind and seeking a higher level of consciousness to be able to respond from that place. Yeah, I love that. And and in fact, that's what um, I will be talking about this coming Sunday is how do you approach a situation that feels uh, frightening or overwhelming? You know, we know right now this uh, unfolding uh, pandemic with the coronavirus. And if you're listening to this uh, as it was recorded in the past, we're we're right at the point where schools have closed in the last yeah. week or so, and we do not know what's going to happen mm -hmm. next. Where you know many parts of the country are under kind of a self-imposed just stay at home, don't go out. Yeah. All public gatherings are uh, closed and canceling, and that's where we are at this moment. And it mm -hmm. and it it can it certainly has the potential to create a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear, but one of the gifts of sobriety or of a recovery path is learning these very principles because they apply no matter what is going yeah. on. Yeah. And one of them, just like you said, is always to, you know, to first take a breath and seek guidance. It's, it, I said a minute ago and I'll say again, it's very unusual that I literally need to react this moment to mm -hmm. something. Yes, that is possible that I'd find myself in that situation, but it's really not the norm. 99.99% of the time, everything I'm presented with does not need an immediate 
reaction. And so that means I have the opportunity to, as you said, just take a breath, do a little, I call it a one breath mini prayer or a one breath mini meditation, or I might be able to sit down and do several minutes of just uh, deep relaxing. I call it, you know, listening for the presence, watching for the presence, allowing the ever presence of God to uh, grow in my awareness. I know it's yeah. always there, but I also know I'm not always aware of it. So yeah. if I just, that's that's another source. I talk about um, these things seem to rise out of calmness and or clarity. That's an example of calmness is to recognize that, you know, I, I don't, this isn't, maybe this isn't as urgent as it seems. I may be scared mm-hmm. and that's where a sense of urgency can come from. And yes, okay. I don't want to pretend that that's not true. If that's how I feel, then that's how I feel. But that doesn't mean that it is necessarily an urgent or an emergency kind of situation. And I I had a my, my minister at my home church, I love to um, kind of connect with him because he had a real way of, um, you know, being able to just sort of take in whatever was going on and just sort of nod and just watch it unfold. And yes, you take action when action is necessary, but if it's not, then you can just kind of take it in. And he had this sort of this, you know, remind me of the uh, scene from the big Lebowski when his landlord is wants to tell him that his rent is 10 days late and he's, he's doing it in a very roundabout manner. And the dude's just standing there going, Far out, man. (laughs) Just that kind of, whoa, wow, check, check this out. Wow, this is wild. Yeah. Far out, man. What's happening? And then, of course, yes, you do get to the point where uh, if action is merited, then we can take action. But come on, allow that calmness, allow the space for that awareness of God's presence to come in, which always brings calmness with it. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said before, these are behaviors that we can learn. It may not be, you know, early in sobriety or recovery. It may not be a natural response, but we can learn to do it. So we can sort of train ourselves whenever there's a decision to be made or something that needs to be responded to. We can train ourselves to stop take some time and seek God's guidance. And if we do that in the things that aren't that urgent and aren't that crazy, then it slowly over time becomes our default setting. And then when the, you know, real stuff happens that that does require a quick reaction, that will already be our default response. It'll just be built in because we've learned that that's how we operate. I don't go charging forward. I stop and take time to check in with myself, check in with my God, check in with my inner guidance before I act. And um, that's just really helpful when it just becomes second nature, that that's just the way I respond to things. You know, another aspect of spiritual understanding for me is just sort of getting a better grip on what this whole, you know, life and universe deal is all about and learning that, uh, making a conscious choice, but also coming to believe that there is a power greater than myself, that that power has my best interest at heart, that that power loves me, that the universe is basically a friendly place, that there is somehow a bias for good. Like we've said before, that that arc of justice or that arc, you know, bends towards justice. 
and that all things are working together for good. You know, all these things we say that things are unfolding in divine order. Now, does that mean that everything looks the way I want it to or that everything looks, you know, quote unquote good on the surface? No, but it's developing that bigger picture that ultimately things really are going to be okay. I don't know about you, Dan, but the things that I've completely driven myself crazy, stressing out about, they all turned out okay. <laughs> you know, At the time, it seemed like, you know, I was just going to die, but ultimately things did work out. They may not have worked out the way I thought I wanted them to, but not only did they work out, they always worked out for my highest good. And that's my belief about life and about the universe is that in the big picture, and I'm not saying everything works out the way I want it to, I want to be clear, and bad things do happen, sad things happen, tragic things happen, but my operating system is that the overall framework is that everything is ultimately for my highest good, and everything is ultimately bringing me towards more reunification or more oneness with God, more understanding of that one power and one presence. And that can help me when the things are happening in my life, because I know that everything is moving towards that. Yeah, I love that example, because I mean, in a sense, we're asking ourselves, how does this power of understanding help us move away from that reckless way of living and move toward a much higher or much clearer sense of purpose? And what you're sharing just just understanding that. And when I say understand, you know, which could just mean that, like, logically I get it, but you're talking about embodying it, like you really getting it, understanding it at all levels, that uh, the universe is fundamentally a good place, that when I, when I show up with the, with a, with the right intention, I'll say, you know, with the good intention, um, and I'm willing to do what needs doing, that things are going to turn out for the best, even when there might be a lot of bumps in the road, you know, even when things happen that I would never have chosen. That doesn't mean that the universe is not fundamentally um, a good place and getting better. It just means that here are the present challenges, you know, yeah. in this moment. So uh, just understanding that, uh, I'm with you on that, understanding, when I say understand, seeing it, experiencing it, realizing over and over that, yes, that is the way that things are going. And, oh, and I can look back one year, two year, five years, whatever, into the past and see, wow, I, I just really am liking my life now. All the, all the better. And it's not even that it was that bad in the recent past, but it still somehow gets better. I still have a strong sense of clarity around something like um, serving others. You know, for me personally, as a preacher and a teacher, uh, I have a lot of clarity around just knowing that I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure exactly why I'm doing this, but I am very clear that this is the right thing yeah. to be doing. So uh, let's take a breath now, as we had said, and shift gears, yes, and turn our attention to a question or a comment from our listeners. So here's a question that many may be thinking about right now with our current state of affairs. Uh, How do we know what's the right thing to do when something like this coronavirus we've been talking about shows up? It seems overwhelming and kind of frightening. Yeah. 
Oh gosh, that's such a big question and such short time to answer it. But you know, I mean, what we just talked about, just having that faith and that trust that all things are ultimately working together for good, learning to see the blessings in things. I mean, there are so many blessings that are already coming out of this situation. Um, when we focus on the good things, the blessings that are occurring all around us, then those things expand. And like I mentioned, spending time in that silence, getting quiet, taking some deep breaths, um, turning it over, that third step prayer, you know, my ego, small self is not in charge, but the higher self, the God self is in charge and uh, all will ultimately be well. And I can trust that I can take, I can bank on that. And it takes time to learn that. But as the years go by and we experience that, we come to know that it's true. Yes. Uh, the one thing that I've learned that sticks with me through all of this is the, the realization that any challenge, any situation must first be resolved in what I'll call the realm of spirit and only then approached in the manifest world, you know, the world around us. And so talking about this situation with coronavirus, you know, knowing, well, what is the right thing to do, the next right thing to do? What is mine to do? What do I have control over and what don't I have? You know, thinking about the serenity prayer, what do I need to let go of? I can't reach out into the world and sort of erase this thing right? It's bigger than my, than my, my human self is, but I don't have to let it, um, take over my entire world, you know, my inner experience, if you will. And so first, uh, moving into prayer, um, resolving it, so to speak, and we each have to understand what that means for ourselves, resolving it in the realm of spirit, and then discerning what is the next right action for us to take. Yes, well, we like to always leave you with an affirmation that you can sort of take with you and use. And so our affirmation this week is the presence of spirit within guides me to right action. I love that. I'm going to say it again. The presence of the spirit within guides me to right action. Reminds me of the verse, seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all the rest will simply fall into place seemingly effortlessly. Well, we've come to the end of our time here together, and we hope you found something to help you on your own recovery path. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, once again for our discussion, and thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We certainly bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey, and we thank you for being a listener here on our show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. 
On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.